Good morning, and welcome to Beyond the Headlines on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am your host, Mina Zaheen. Beyond the Headlines is a weekly current affairs show that aims to make public policy discussions more accessible to you. We take you beyond the headlines of our daily news, bringing you access to current leaders through in-depth interviews. You can join us in the conversation by tweeting at beyond underscore headlines. That's B-Y-O-N-D underscore headlines. On today's episode of Beyond the Headlines, I will be sitting down with Alison Theodoro, Operations Director at PeerWorks. We will be discussing mental health addiction issues, the role of peer support, and Ontario's Roadmap to Wellness. Ontario has launched a new initiative called Roadmap to Wellness, which aims to develop a comprehensive and connected mental health and addiction system for the region. Over 1 million Ontarians face mental health and addiction issues each year, and the system faces challenges including long wait times, service fragmentation, and lack of evidence-based funding. The initiative will include investments totaling $3.8 billion over 10 years, funded in part by the federal government. The plan is to make high-quality mental health services available throughout people's lives with the right level of care accessible where and when it's needed. The plan will require a whole-of-government approach and investment in services from partner ministries, including children and community and social services, municipal affairs and housing, solicitor general, education, and indigenous affairs, among others. The initiative has been developed over a year of consultation with hundreds of Ontarians in communities across provinces, including grassroots community organizations, healthcare providers, experts, and advocates, as well as people with lived experience of mental health and addiction issues, their families and caregivers. There was broad consensus that upstream investments in areas such as early intervention and investing in community-based services is the best way to achieve success. On today's episode, our guest is Alison Theodoro, Operations Director at PeerWorks. Alison began working for PeerWorks back in 1993 in its earliest incarnation as the former CSDI. Originally tasked as an administrative assistant, she has taken on other responsibilities including office finances, conference organizer, and working with graduates of the PeerWorks Peer Support Core Essentials program while they complete their internships. She is certified with Peer Support Canada and is qualified to deliver PeerWorks Peer Support Core Essentials program training. Allison, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. So let's get started. I want to start from the beginning, 1970s and 80s. There started to be this, you know, shift in like mental illness recovery. And there was this like new vision for how that was going to look. And so can you like tell us a little bit about what was happening at that time in Canada? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think a lot of it did start in the 70s and 80s, but also I think it actually started more in the 60s where people started to um, also kind of start to um, 
I don't want to say like fight back because I don't know if fight back is the right word, but I think that they started to recognize that there were other supports that could be put in place instead of having people with mental health and ditches issues institutionalized. Mm -hmm. Um, So there was a shift, um, you know, sometime between the, you know, it's like I say, started probably in the 60s, but more in the 70s and 80s, where they started to look at um, being able to treat people with mental illness um, not so much in hospitals, in psychiatric hospitals, but more potentially in general hospitals or by their own family doctors or also by um, community mental health supports. And so this process was referred to as deinstitutionalization. Is that correct? Yes, it was moving people out of necessarily not being institutionalized, but being brought into the community and the supports being provided to them in the community, um, as opposed to being in a hospital. Okay, so does, does that mean that at that time the hospitals were shutting down? So some hospitals did shut down, but I think what they also did is they also wanted to use those hospitals for more specialized and more complex services, as opposed to anyone who may have been having, um, you know, mental health issues being hospitalized, that they wanted to recognize that not all individuals that were suffering with mental health issues needed to be hospitalized and that some could be treated um, in the community Um, whether it be, like I say, with their family doctors or with their uh, local general hospitals or, like I said, community supports. Mm -hmm. So I went to school in this small town in Massachusetts where that happened later on. But what ended up happening was that individuals with mental health and addiction issues actually ended up on the street and were unhoused. Did Canada experience something similar as a result of like the institutionalization? To be completely honest, I'm not 100% sure. I do know that what also came out of during that time was the need for more um, supportive housing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to say that there wasn't an increase in people being unhoused because I I don't have those statistics, but I do know that that was something that was considered and that there were housing supports and housing um, made available at that time as well. Okay, wonderful. So um, this is where peer works, uh, a peer support comes about, right? So this is where the idea of peer support was born. So can you, can you tell us a little bit about how it all began, where it began in Canada? So I can speak more to Ontario because every province has their own um, kind of history of peer support. Um, you know, some provinces definitely are more ahead than other provinces. Ontario is, I think, one of the provinces that is a little bit more ahead than others. So I can definitely speak a little bit more to Ontario, but that there are peer support um, organizations and practices happening across Canada. I'm just not as aware of all of the ones in Canada as I am more um, the history of Ontario. 
um, in Ontario in the late 80s, there were a couple um, reports that were produced from the government, um, one called Toward a Shared Direction in Ontario, as well as one called Building Community Supports for People, and that one a lot of people refer to as the Graham Report. Mm -hmm. um, and then from those reports, funding was directed to the first um, consumer survivor initiative, and that was in 1991. Um, so that would have been the consumer survivor development initiative, which at that time was a uh, provincial organization that was developed to help provide uh, direction to um, determine funding for smaller consumer survivor initiatives and projects across the province. Um, so the consumer survivor um, development initiative, uh, basically, I guess, in, in conjunction with the, with the government, put out a call for proposals where organizations could um, put in proposals to receive funding. Mm -hmm. So, uh, that organization was started um, in 1991. Mm -hmm. um, by the middle of, I think it's around the middle of 1991, funding decisions had been made to support 42 programs across Ontario. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about those 42 programs were they were what we called consumer survivor initiatives, meaning that they were run by people with lived experience. They were for people with lived experience. They were governed by people with lived experience. Mm -hmm. um, and that initial funding was um, a one-year program. And the idea was to have people with lived experience supporting other individuals with lived experience. Uh, some of those programs were actually businesses, mm -hmm. um, or like as we called them economic development, where people with lived experience who maybe weren't in a position to be working a full-time job or maybe even sometimes a part-time job um, could go and give back and work a little bit while getting support for uh, their mental health and or addiction issues. And then some of those programs were drop-in centers, um, social recreation programs. Um, there were lots of different, um, lots of different programs that were offered through those organizations. Um, and then they, in um, 1992, through those organizations, there was 81 full-time employment positions that had been created um, mm -hmm. by those projects. And I think, and when we say full-time equivalent, because not everybody was working full-time, so there was over 300 people that were employed from that program. Um, some did continue after that first year to receive funding. Um, and then in 1993, um, the uh, Consumer Survivor Development Initiative, which was like the umbrella organization, they were fully operated by people with lived experience. Mm -hmm. um, and from that, the government recognized how important the Consumer Survivor Initiatives were. And in 1996, they released an additional um, $23.5 million to enhance community mental health. Now, not all of them were, as we call them, consumer survivor initiatives. They weren't all completely run by and for people with lived experience. Some of them um, were in uh, programs of larger mental health agencies, but it all provided a level of peer support. Okay. 
Thank you for the background. So consumer survivor initiatives, as you are referring to them, they are organizations that are run by people with lived experience. And what you mean by that is people who have experience with a mental health and addiction issues, correct? Yes. Right. And so the idea is that people who have this lived experience can better relate to uh, others who are currently experiencing those issues and um, they can provide a kind of support that others might not be able to. Yeah, like the idea is, is that, you know, being able to receive support from someone who has been there, done that, um, someone who knows what you're going through. Now, we never say that anybody knows exactly what anyone is going through. But when someone has struggled and they can go in and talk to someone who knows similarly to what they've been going through, there's a different sense of understanding and belief mm -hmm. and also a comfort level. Like there's a comfort to know that who you're talking to can relate to the experiences that you are going through at that particular time in your journey in your life. Mm -hmm. So before the government got involved and um, started um, funding these initiatives, uh, there had to be some kind of a presence. There's had to be some people who were already um, you know, forming these support groups. So was it that the government came in first or is it that these people with lived experiences started helping out each other and then the government kind of took notice and also stepped in? Yeah, I think peer support predates any government funding. I think that what happened, this is going back probably again to like the 60s, 70s, 80s, where people with um, who had been institutionalized started to come together and support each other in their experiences. Um, you know, there there is something to be said for, um, you know, AA or NA or some of the other, um, you know, support groups out there that a lot of people say was the beginning of peer support. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talk about, we talk about the fact of, you know, uh, peer support, but peer support didn't begin with the funding of peer support organizations. Peer support has been happening for many, many years beyond that funding. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I remember watching a video about, you know, in the very beginning, how peer support came about. I believe um, this was like a CSI where the people, they came together, they actually bought a house in which, you know, they lived together. Does, does that kind of model still exist or is that more of a thing of the past? So I think I know which organization you're talking about. Um, and it there are organizations that have um, purchased property, have made it kind of like a home. Normally, you know, some of them will have some um, apartments or, you know, where people can stay if they need to. But mostly they're just run as organizations, drop-in centers. But to some people, it is like a home. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of these organizations are also having people that come in that have either fallen through the cracks. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're people that have had a bad experience with the traditional mental health system and don't want to be involved with the mental health system. The one nice thing about peer support and peer support organizations is it's completely voluntary. There is no, 
There is no referral. Mm -hmm. um, nobody can tell you you have to go for peer support. Um, you can go for peer support. You can walk into an organization and provide support and you can leave and go back the next day or you can leave and go back a month later or six months later. Yeah. Um, there is no wait lists. Yeah. Um, but also too, in a lot of the cases is these peer support organizations are providing in some cases showers for people who might not have access to regular showers mm -hmm. or they, there might, you know, a lot of them will, will provide meals if they can throughout the week, to, you know, for people who might not have um, access to healthy food all the time. Mm -hmm. um, so they are for some people kind of like a home. Yeah. It's their family. So I think earlier you were referring to the CSIs that are run by and for people with um, lived experience, but you're also talking about how peer support can be a program um, that is run by like a bigger organization. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how exactly that works? Especially when it comes to like these bigger organizations having peer support programs. Yeah, so I mean, there definitely is different types. I don't want to say different types of peer support because it's not different types of peer support. It's different organizations. So you've got on one hand, you've got your consumer survivor initiatives, which are independent organizations that are run by and for people with lived experience. Um, they are different in in some ways. But then there's also peer support programs that are very successful, very, um, uh, you know, in, within um, CMHAs, within other community mental health agencies, within health teams. Um, so depending on depending on what it is that you're looking for in the community that you're in, you might find a CSI. Unfortunately, there are not a lot of consumer survivor initiatives um, across the province. As I mentioned, I think we started in 1991 with like 42 um, and of the actual consumer survivor initiatives, there's um, maybe about 10 left. Now, some have just, um, you know, gone in and divested and become a program of other agencies. So the, the peer support is still being offered, but it might be just being offered through another program. Mm -hmm. um, and you work for, you're the operations director of PeerWorks. Can you tell us a little bit about PeerWorks and how that fits into this picture of peer support in Ontario? Yeah, for sure. So I think the first thing that I probably should mention is that PeerWorks was formerly um, the Ontario Peer Development Initiative, which was formerly the Consumer Survivor Development Initiative, which I mentioned at the beginning. So okay. Our organization actually has been around for um, over 30 years. We were involved in determining the first um, consumer survivor initiatives that were going to receive funding back in 1991. Uh, and, you know, our role has evolved over the last 30 years. But currently, our role is a provincial, almost like umbrella organization for um, consumer cyber initiatives, peer support organizations. Um, what we do is we advocate on behalf of um, consumer cyber initiatives and peer support organizations for more funding. We want to bring awareness. We want people to know about peer support and peer support that is available. Um, it is our vision that peer support will be available to anyone and everyone. Um, 
you know, readily available and accessible to anyone who needs it. Um, that peer support will be available in colleges and universities and high schools and workplaces because, you know, there really isn't anywhere where we can't all benefit from having someone to talk to mm -hmm. from time to time and someone who might be able to share with you their experiences and understand. So in addition to us kind of advocating and bringing more awareness to peer support, we also have a training program where we um, provide training to people who are interested in becoming peer support workers. We also, for our members, have um, uh, communities of practice to bring people together to talk about um, you know, common um, um, problems or things that they wanna talk about or share ideas. We offer uh, webinars um, widely out to the peer support community um, and are just available to our members and to the you know, broader community when they're looking for information on peer support and where to find it. Okay, amazing. So earlier you had mentioned how peer, uh, peer works is involved in helping um, organizations get funded, but you're also, Funding is something that has come up a few times uh, throughout this conversation. And so I want to talk about the Ontario Roadmap to Wellness, which is the Ontario government's, you know, kind of plan for how they want to address mental health and addiction. And, and they've been talking about this $10 billion in funding that they um, want to provide to different organizations and peer support is something that is definitely mentioned in this um, roadmap to wellness but can you talk to us about you know funding for peer support organizations and how that might have actually decreased over the years even though as we can tell um, this kind of like uh, mental health epidemic is getting worse and worse. So can you just talk a little bit about um, the roadmap where peer support fits in, the reduction in funding and how that's impacted your ability to do your work? Yeah, so I mean, I guess the first thing I would say is, you know, like you mentioned, the roadmap to wellness is the government's um, plan or their guide. And it really is to build a more comprehensive and connected mental health and addictions. Um, so one of the challenges that the roadmap to wellness is trying to combat is long wait times. Um, now, I'm not saying that peer support, obviously peer support can't reduce wait times. What peer support can do is it can be an option for people who need support while they are waiting for other services. So I definitely think, and I know that the government um, has and is investing in more peer support programs, um, you know, to, to help with this. We're not exactly sure, it's unclear to us exactly um, how much money is going to peer support. Hopefully, we are hoping that some of that money that is earmarked for peer support will go to consumer survivor initiatives. Um, and peer support organizations, um, as well as we are hoping that, um, you know, we are have been asking for an increase in our budget as well. Um, our budget was reduced um, 
was used a number of years ago. And part of what we are hoping is that um, by increasing the budget of our organization, that that is in turn going to provide more support to our member organizations, which will free up time for them to provide more direct services to their organizations. Um, you know, we did say that there, that with some of the CSIs that were originally funded, um, you know, there aren't as many CSIs left. But the reason why there isn't as many CSIs is because some organizations have um, gone under the umbrella of a CMHA, um, whereas now they are just working as a program of the CMHA. So there are peer support organizations still embedded into CMHAs, like I said, um, which I should probably point out that a CMHA is the Canadian Mental Health Association, mm -hmm. um, which has, a, like I say, a, a national office. Um, and then provincial and then local. So when we say CMHAs, there are um, local CMHAs all across the province. And while, of course, it is great that, you know, there are peer support programs at CMHAs, one of the things that, you know, makes CSIs so special is that it's run by the people, you know, that have the most intimate experience with these issues, um, and, you know, for uh, people struggling with mental health and addiction issues. Um, and it also empowers, it's more empowering to the community when they have more hands-on um, and more of a say in how the organization is run, I believe. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a difference with a consumer survivor initiative and a peer support program that runs out of a other another larger agency that like you said Mina definitely the difference is going to be that you know within a CSI the staff the board the members everyone is someone with lived experience within a larger peer support program your the peer supporters and the people utilizing the service are going to be people with lived experience but the entire agency is not always made up of people with lived experience Mm -hmm. um, so definitely a little bit of a difference um, there. However, regardless of, of where you're getting peer support, your peer support should always be being provided by someone with lived experience. Mm -hmm. um, so what you're talking about um, these organizations that are almost like a home um, to these people at times. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the different um, ways in which these organizations can provide support uh, to people who are dealing with mental health and addiction issues? It, I've heard about some organizations that even provide employment, training. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, every organization is different. Um, that's for sure. Depending on on where you go, it's going to be different. But organizations, the peer support organizations and the CSIs are almost always going to provide a safe place to go, a confidential space. Um, but they can support you in what it is that you are trying to trying to do. So in some cases, you know, if you're looking to find a job. You might be able to go into um, an organization and get support with your resume and with submitting applications. It 
if in some organizations they're helping people to find um, secure housing. Mm -hmm. um, in other places, they're um, advocating with their peers to talk to their doctors. Some peer supporters will go to doctor's appointments with people. Um, there is also a program for that is called the MAPS program, which is the Mental Health and Addiction Peer Support, which is peer support for people who are on probation and parole, who are who have been incarcerated, who are coming out and, and going back into the community. And the, there are peer support programs that are helping them be able to um, get back into the community and find jobs and, and somewhere to live. There are peer support programs that are that are there for people who have maybe been in the hospital for a period of time and are coming out of the hospital again, integrating back into the community and really need support with that. Um, in some cases, it's it's helping someone find, um, you know, food. Um, just you know, there's so many different things and resources that a peer supporter can help you with. And in some cases, it's just really, I mean, we I've had people who, who have done our training and are doing their internship because part of our training is getting hands-on experience. And sometimes you're working with someone who just has a hard time getting out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. um, so really it's very individualized what it is that you need support for. But with having a peer supporter, they can kind of help you in most cases with what it is that you're trying to do and where you're trying to get. And then the nice thing is in so many of these organizations is that once you've kind of, you know, been on your journey to wellness and you feel that you are far enough along in your journey that you're ready to start giving back, there's opportunity to give back by whether it be a peer supporter, becoming a staff member of the organization. Um, there's so many opportunities to kind of give back once you've been involved in a peer support organization or consumer survivor initiative. Amazing. Um, earlier, you had talked about um, people who can fall through the cracks and you were, you know, mentioning wait times. You, you did mention that obviously peer support can't reduce wait times for other types of um, mental health and addiction treatment, but can you talk a little bit about what makes peer support so special in like when it comes to its accessibility and when it comes to you know barriers to mental health and addiction treatment yeah I mean I think what we said before is that there's there's no wait lists at a consumer survivor initiative or peer support organization someone can just walk in the door um and there are times where people don't walk in the door that they they stand outside the door because they're just not sure. Mm -hmm. um, so nobody, nobody is going to, like I said before, there's, there's no referrals. Nobody can make you go. You come when you want to come. You can walk through the door when you're ready. Um, there have been times where people have gone outside and talked to someone until they felt comfortable walking through the door. Um, it is a safe place. It's confidential. The one great thing about consumer survivor initiatives is when we talk about low barrier, part of that is, is that you don't have to give your name. You don't have to give your health card number. You can use the service very um, anonymously. Mm -hmm. um, and for people who have felt that the traditional mental health and addiction system hasn't worked for them, 
there are people who want to be able to walk in and not have to provide their names. Consumer service initiatives don't have, at this point, it's interesting because at this point, I know the government is starting to institute um, more data collection so that they can kind of understand the services that people are using. But the consumer service initiatives don't even have that software to be able to track people that come into their service. So it's completely anonymous. It's completely confidential. Um, and anyone can use the service and then choose when they want to use the service and not. Because there's no wait list, if you decide that you want to go in and participate for a period of time, and then you find that you don't need the service anymore, and then you find that in six months you need it again, you walk through the door again. Mm. So it's, you know, it's very, um, it's very easy to use. And there is no expectation that you will use it for a certain period of time. Um, yeah, and you it's it's also not diagnosed based. So you don't need to, you don't need to have a diagnosis. You don't need to tell anyone um any information about yourself that you're not comfortable sharing. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about warm lines i believe this is this is a service that some peer support organizations operate yeah so there are a few across the province um so warm line is a non-crisis line you know one of the things that we have found for a long time i mean this is not this is not new and this is not COVID. even though we did find that COVID did exacerbate people's um you know, feeling of isolation. So definitely the need for warm lines increased over the, the time of the pandemic. Warm lines have been around for many years. Um, actually, we just had, um, we had a conference back in the beginning of February and we had an organization presented and we didn't realize that their warm line has been around for 30 plus years. But wow. basically what a warm line is, is that it's an, it's a, it's a line that you can call and some of them are even open 24 hours when you're just feeling like you need someone to talk to or maybe you need some resources. Um, you know, it, if you're in crisis, it's not a crisis line and they would then, you know, support you. And maybe, you know, if you were in crisis and getting the support you needed, but also times we find that sometimes people just need someone to talk to. Um, so a warm line allows for that opportunity for someone to just call and speak to someone at, you know, like I said, it, it, at any time, some of them, like I say, are open 24 hours and they can, just talk to you, they can provide you resources. And then if you're in any sort of crisis or distress, then they may be able to support you in next steps and getting the help that you want to get. But definitely um, a good, a good uh, option if you're just feeling down and, and you're feeling like you really need someone to talk to. Um, they're a great resource because sometimes, you know, there's, there's a big difference between, um, you know, you don't have to have a mental illness, have men bad mental health days. Sometimes, you know, we can all feel, and I think we can agree that over the last three plus years, there have been times where we just all haven't felt ourselves. Um, and knowing that there are options out there to talk to people who may have been there um, and can understand kind of what you're going through is a is a really nice feeling to know that there's always, can always be someone to talk to. Yeah, certainly. Um, can you, Tell us a little bit about how peer support fits in the mental health and addiction sector. Is 
would you say it's an alternative? Would you say it, it can happen in conjunction with other forms of treatment? How would you like our audience to um, understand peer support? I think that's 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 it's a good question, but it's very individualized. Mm -hmm. um, for some people, peer support is all they need. Mm -hmm. You know, they they walk, they you know, they meet with a peer supporter. They come up with a plan for whatever it is that they are, you know, um, needing to work on or or something that they might be struggling with. But for other people, it might be in conjunction with other services. Lots of people, I know lots of people who um, who provide peer support or are receiving peer support are also receiving traditional services. They're seeing a, a psychiatrist regularly. They're seeing a, 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 you know, a therapist regularly, but peer support is um, in addition to the work that they're doing. So I think it's very individualized in the fact of what it is that you need. And there are people that start out with peer support and then decide that, you know, oh, you know what, I really could use some additional support and your peer supporter can help you connect to those supports as well. Um, whereas for other people, peer support is really all they want or need. And it could be because, again, like I said before, it could be because they didn't have a good experience with traditional healthcare in the past and they just want to be able to utilize peer support. And for some people it's in conjunction. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a good option for, for anyone who's struggling and you know wants needs wants and needs someone to talk to so it from our conversation I get the sense that peer support really is such an invaluable part of the mental health and addiction sector in Ontario and what do you think would happen if you know peer support organizations lost the very little funding that they currently have have how would that impact the sector i think that it would impact it greatly because i think that there are a lot of people utilizing the services of peer supporters one of the things that i didn't mention and i probably should is that peer support is not just one-on-one -on -one peer support like it's there's also other options so in some organizations they offer drop-in centers some offer more formalized peer support where you're like, you kind of, you can make an appointment. Some offer groups, group peer support. So depending on what it is that your needs are, there are lots of different options available to you. Um, with, you know, I think that a lot of people um, out there would really, really struggle and find it difficult if they lost the supports that they were currently receiving from their CSI or their peer support organization. Um, like I said, it does help to bridge the gap between appointments if you're waiting for services. Um, sometimes it just helps, as I said, to talk to someone who has been there. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, really, if you think about it, how many times have you been talking to someone and they've been through a similar experience and you're talking to them and they can relate to what you're saying? It just really does validate the way that um, you feel when you're talking to someone who knows what you're feeling and what you're going through as opposed to someone who doesn't really know what you're going through but they're trying to understand there's definitely a difference um, and like I said 
before, I don't see a setting where peer support wouldn't be valuable. There should be peer support workers in every hospital, in every emergency room. There should be peer supporters. There should be peer supporters in workplaces. Um, there should be peer supporters in, I, I mean, there just isn't anywhere, honestly, that I can say that I don't see the need to have someone to talk to when, when we need it. Mm. And how, what would you like to tell our audience about, like, if, if our listeners want to figure out a way to support, you know, peer support organizations and CSIs, what can they do? How can they make sure that they get the funding that they need and deserve? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think it is important to familiarize yourself with peer support and know what it is and see the value in it and talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, we are finding, even though we have been around and a lot of our member organizations have been around for 30 plus years, that there still really isn't a full understanding about what peer support is. There's still so much stigma out there about mental health and addictions. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I said, we all have days where we could use support. Um, and I think it's important to just kind of know about the know about the services and the peer support services in your area. Um, and that way, when you're talking to people, you can you can let people know when you're talking to them about the services in your area. Certainly. Because I think it's way more valuable than than um sometimes what people realize because I think that there just is not always a full understanding about the benefits of peer support in in our communities and you found that maybe even the people who struggle with mental health and addiction issues they might be aware at times of what peer support is and certainly there's a vibrant peer support community but outside of that it's something that very little is known about even within you know, university pro like programs and, you know, different training programs, peer support is, there's very little known about it in like the public sphere. Yeah. And again, I, I think it depends. Um, there are, there are some universities that have uh, peer support programs. Um, we have actually done some training with some of the universe, a couple of universities in Ontario. So there are universities that do have peer support programs. Um, but there's also a lot out there that don't have peer support programs that they do probably have other mental health services, um, but not peer support programs. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I, I think that I talk to a lot of people who, when I tell them what I do, their first question is, well, what is peer support? Mm -hmm. And even though we've been around for a long time, um, there's still, I want peer support to be a household term, but when you say peer support, everyone knows what peer support is because I actually, and I'll say this, you know, over and over and over again, that I don't see a situation in which peer support can't be utilized. We could all at times um, benefit from having someone to talk to who can understand what we're going through. We certainly can. Well, um, Allison, thank you so much for an incredible conversation and for all of your insights on uh, peer support. Um, if there is one last thing that you want our listeners to walk away with, what would it be? Um, kind of what I said, seek out and check where your local peer support organization is and learn 
and learn um, about the organizations that are available and the services that are available. Um, and also, you know, just to be kind to people. Um, we all could use a little bit of kindness towards us every day. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me.